0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. It's been a little while since we've been in this series. Obviously, we've had our missions month this past month and uh, that was really great, but we're coming back to this series. So just to kind of uh, get us back up to speed on the series and what the series is about, it's about the 12 disciples that Jesus chose and the 12 apostles, and to note that they were really ordinary people. They were regular people like you and me. They had regular lives. They grew up just like everybody else around them. They didn't have spectacular wealth. They didn't have some special education to train them up to be the next rulers or noblemen of the day. They were just regular, common, ordinary people. They were not especially blessed with some great talents or abilities or opportunities or money or any of these things. They were just ordinary people living ordinary lives with ordinary jobs, with ordinary families who simply trusted in God. And God used those people who trusted in God to do some great things. And that's the emphasis of this series, which is that God uses ordinary people, which is great because we are all ordinary people, amen? We're all ordinary people, which means God could use any of us you don't have to be a billionaire for god to use you you don't have to have the highest iq for god to use you god is sufficient and so today we're going to take a look at three disciples for the series we've kind of been taking a look at one disciple at a time and really uh for some that was not even sufficient to take a look at their lives and all that they said and all that they did that's recorded in the gospel but we're gonna take a look at three this morning because, well, quite frankly, not a lot is said about them, but still we can learn something. So let's take a look at the first. The first is James, and we might title him, if you will, the silent disciple. Uh, not because he didn't say anything, but because we don't know anything that he said. We don't know that he said anything, we don't know that he did anything. We, none of it's recorded, at least. So, uh, really, when you take a look at this verse, you see that James is the son of Alphaeus. That's pretty much the only thing we know about him. That his name was James, and his dad's name was Alpheus, And that's it. All right? Four Gospels, and all we know is his name and his dad's name. So what could you possibly learn about a disciple of Jesus Christ when you don't know what he said, you don't know what he did, you don't know his responsibilities among the group, You don't know how he served you don't know any of these things we just know he was one of the twelve he was picked by Jesus and his name was James well there's a couple of things that we can learn first of all people don't always recognize your service for God now we don't know what James did but we know that James did something right I mean he was one of the disciples so that means he was doing something he was with the disciples maybe helping You know, for instance, when they had uh, the feeding of the 5,000, remember Jesus told the disciples, have everybody sit down in groups of 50, groups of 100, and then go distribute the food. And at the end, go pick up some baskets and collect all of the food and bring it back, you know, and collect it all there at the end. Well, James was doing some of those things. You know, James was participating in some of those service areas. Of course, we don't know anything that James actually said. None of it's recorded for us, but I'm sure that James didn't go through three years of ministry with Jesus without saying anything. He must have said something, right? Must have been saying something to people who are around, trying to help them, trying to comfort them, maybe thinking about some things that Jesus said and, and passing along to somebody else. And and so we know that James did something. We just don't know what he did. We, we know that James said some things. We just don't know what he said. And I'm sure that James made a difference. We just don't know that difference that he made. Which means that for us, as people who have, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, if you committed yourself to following God, you can make a difference even if no one knows what you did. Amen? Amen. Nobody needs to know what you did for you to make a difference. You know, how many of you are like me? If you go up to a car, you pop open that hood, you look inside and you're like, there's a lot of things in here, I don't know what they do. (laughs) All right, I know that's the engine. All right, I know that. I know that's the battery. All right, I could tell that there's a box over here, not really sure what that does, all right, there's a little place where you pour a liquid in there, I'm not really sure what you're supposed to pour in there, I let somebody else take care of a lot of those things, and maybe you pop open your hood, and you're like, I don't really know what this thing does, or what that thing does, but we do know every part in there does something, and we know that every part in there is something that you need, amen, you can not just be like, I don't know what that does. Let's get it out of here, all right? that What is that? I mean, let's pull it out. You can't do that. You know every part in there is important. It has a job. It has a function. And it's important for you, even if you sit behind the wheel and you drive down the street, you don't know what any of that does, but you know that it's important. And God wants every believer to know your importance you have a place in the ministry. Maybe the person next to you doesn't know the kind of service that you participate in. Maybe the person that's sitting in front of you, maybe the person who's been serving here for a little while, maybe there's been somebody who's been here for a little while, not really sure some of the things that you're doing, and, but you're doing something. You go home every single day and you pray for your church. Amen. You're praying for your pastor. You're praying for your life connection leader. You're praying that God would use them. You pray for Uh, spiritual protection. You pray that God would use different members of the church to be able to witness to other people so that they would hear the gospel. And you're praying that God would use them, that God would use you. Hey, that's something that maybe nobody else sees, but that's important. And that's something that every single one of us can do. Maybe you're the kind of person that you get involved with something and you show up a little bit earlier before everybody else is here and you, you, you set up some things inside and sometimes during the middle of service even there's some something that needs to be taken care of and, and somebody's helping to take care of those things. Maybe not everybody recognizes those things, but you're doing something you know I think about you know Mrs. Brooks she's over there with a, the with a kids class and, and uh, thank God for Mrs and uh, Joy, she's over there helping and and able to take the kids over there every single week. So faithfully, she comes and she serves and she teaches the kids and she pours her own time and resources into helping the, the children to learn the Bible and also to help all of us to be able to sit here to hear the word of God, to sing uh, uh, praises to his name. We think about those that work in the nursery. I know that we got a big rotation and a number of ladies go in there, you know, once a month, twice a month, and Lydia's overseeing all of that. And and, uh, praise the Lord for the nursery workers, amen? Praise the Lord for that. I'm thankful for that. I had kids that were in the nursery. I have a kid still in the nursery. And I praise the Lord for that. That's wonderful. But you may come in and not realize, man, there's somebody overseeing that. I know that there have been times when, you know, Lydia and my wife and others, you know, they were in there every single week, sometimes more than just one session. She would be there like Lydia might be there at 930. And then something would happen. Somebody would be sick or something like that. And then she'd also come at 11 o'clock. And so she would be watching other people's kids for three hours in a row, and, and she wanted to do that in service. And and sometimes people don't know all of these things, but what you do is important. Every single one of us, whether you're just you know going to your workplace and, and trying to be a witness, trying to be a light to people there, your coworkers. Nobody ever sees that. Nobody uh, you know may even hear about that. And sometimes people come and tell me, you know, I'm witnessing to my coworker. You know, I invited this person. Can you pray for them? You know, that's wonderful but not everybody always sees or recognizes what you do. One of the reasons why there are so many Baptist churches here in America is because of a man that most people have never heard of. Uh, He had heard about this place early in the, uh, you know, I think in the 1700s, maybe 1800s actually, about North Carolina. There were no churches that were there. You know, there's a big need for churches there. And so uh, this, this, man, Shubal Stearns went down to North Carolina. He and his wife, they didn't have any kids, never had any kids and brought some family members down, went to North Carolina and started Sandy Creek Baptist Church. Just began to preach the gospel. People got saved. The church began to grow and, and people out of that church began to start other churches and they started different churches all around North Carolina and soon in other places. It's been estimated that there are thousands of Baptist churches here in America that have been started because of that church. That one church, out of that church, other churches were planted. Out of those churches, other churches were planted. But I'm, most of you probably never heard of Sandy Creek Baptist Church. Some of you, probably, most of you have probably never heard of shubal Stearns. I never heard of him until I went to Bible college. Right? You would never heard of him too, maybe? <laughs> right? We didn't know about these people and, and the, the service and the ministry and the preaching and things like that, but he made a huge difference. So you don't always need to be recognized to be able to make a difference for God. But we can always we can also see that you always get rewarded for your service to God. Every single time that you serve God is rewarded. Now the question is when, where, and from whom? When you serve, when do you get rewarded? Where do you get rewarded? And from whom? do you get rewarded do you want your rewards now or do you want your rewards in eternity do you want your rewards here on earth or do you want your rewards in heaven you know jesus in matthew chapter number 6 said lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal so do you want your treasures here on earth or do you want your treasures in heaven? Do you want to get your rewards from God, or do you want to get your rewards from men? That was a big part of Jesus' sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter number six. He says in verse number two, therefore, when thou uh, dost uh, thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. All right, this is not the point of this verse, but it just strikes me as funny that when somebody was about to give the tithe, that somebody would blow the trumpet, you know, but you know, hey, I'm about to give my tithe, you know, and I want everybody to see that I'm about to give the tithe, you know, that's, that's what some people were doing. It seems ridiculous to me, but that's, that's what Jesus was saying. Don't do that, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, yes, these people are giving to God, or they're giving, you know, to the temple. They got their reward. But he says in verse number three, but when thou doest alms, let not thine left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, when you give your offerings, when you give your tithe, you know, you would go to the temple area, there'd be a collection area there and everybody could see whether you put something in there. They could see how much you put in there. What Jesus is saying is, if you do that so that everybody else could see, see what I'm doing here? He's saying, you got your reward. But what he's saying is, if you do it for the Lord, God's going to reward you. So either you could get your reward in terms of recognition from other people, or you could get reward from God. Verse number five, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, right? So these these people, the Pharisees and others, they would stand on the street corners and they would pray out loud so that everybody could hear and people would walk by and go, wow, what a spiritual man he is. Wow, listen to his prayer. Look how eloquent he is. Look look how religious he is. And, and Jesus says they got their reward. But he says in verse number six, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. He's saying when you pray, do you want recognition from men or do you want God to answer your prayer? Uh, there's a big difference there. He continues in verse number 16. Moreover, when you fast, be not as hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. They wanted everybody to know, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father, which is in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly." So that's a great reminder for us. When we serve God, we should serve God and not men, right? I know that in service to God, we are serving men. We are serving people, right? You might be, you know, helping them, encouraging them, talking to them, you know, putting a plate of food in front of them or different things like that, of course. But ultimately, our service is to God. And so we can always know that whatever service you do is rewarded You get to pick though where your reward comes from. Do you want your reward from men or do you want your reward from God? Because God says, Mark chapter nine, verse 41, for whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And God knows everything that you do for him. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. There's no service that you do to God for God that's not noticed by God, all right? Sometimes people do things here around the church that nobody else notices, nobody else sees. I I still think back often to the time when I first uh, was called into full-time ministry, and uh, I was working at my, uh, what I call my home church, the church that I grew up in. I was a teenager there, went to camps, you know, through the church and things like that, and uh, so when I first started working as an intern, I didn't have an office area. I worked in the sound booth, you know, that was the only space for me, and so I would go into the sound booth, and the sound booth was uh, actually kind of up some stairs, and it was kind of at the top of the back of the auditorium, so I walk up the stairs, and uh, I would sit up there, and uh, it was very cold in there, okay, (laughs) you know, this is the auditorium, my pastor did not heat the auditorium for me in the middle of winter, you know, it was cold, and so, you know, I'd bundle up, and I'd get up there, you know, and I'd be working away at whatever they asked me to do, I remember one of the days, you know, people will walk in and out, the assistant pastor will walk in and out, sometimes grab something, you know, check some different things, and then one day, somebody walked in, and I thought nothing of it, I thought, oh, maybe it's, you know, uh, Pastor Schellenberger, or maybe it's Pastor Farinella, just walked in or whatever, and then I heard some sounds up towards the front, and uh, they continued for a little while, and so I was like, I wonder who that is, that doesn't sound like pastor, and I, I stepped up, and I looked down, and there was one of the, the ladies of the church. And uh, she had come down and on the sides were these handrails, there were these brass handrails. And uh, she had come in and she would polish them. And so that was her ministry. She would just come in in the middle of the week, just walk into the auditorium, polish those handrails, and then she would go home. And I was thinking, I had no idea that she did that. It didn't even cross my mind that handrails needed polishing. And then on top of that, I didn't realize that somebody was actually polishing them. I didn't know that. And sometimes there are things that people do that you don't know about, that I don't know about, that others don't know about, but God sees every single one. Every single time that you serve him, every single time that you pray, every single time that you decide to obey, God notices. And so our reason for service matters. In Colossians chapter three, he says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So our heart and our attitude ought to be, you know what, I'm doing this in service to the Lord, and I do this in order to receive my reward from the Lord and not from men. I don't know why exactly God decided You know which passages and which instances and which words to be recorded but you know peter and james and john they get all the glory right there you know we know all about them and the things that they did and peter walked on the water and all of that kind of stuff and and uh you know he was serving and we we know some of those things and we think wow peter what a great disciple you know james and john you know they weren't perfect but they did some great things you know james here though he did some great things too for the lord you know, he wanted to serve God. He just didn't get the recognition from people today. But you know what? He got his recognition from the Lord. And he got his reward from the Lord. So that's the first thing that we can see from James. That James, is, we call, I call him the silent disciple because we don't know anything about him. We don't know what he said and we don't know what he did. The second thing that we see, or the second disciple that we see is Simon. Simon is the spirited disciple. That's what I call him. So uh, we saw that he's called Simon, called Zelotes. All right. We sometimes call him Simon the zealot. All right. In another passage, he's called the Canaanite. All right. I always thought the Canaanite meant that he was from Canaan or something like that. Okay. That's not what it means. It basically means the same thing. It's that he was part of a political party that was called the zealots. So in the gospels, you're probably familiar with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? You know about the Pharisees, you know about the Sadducees, you know about them, there were some religious leaders. You know kind of taking a step back you could see that they were kind of two of the can we call them political parties they were religious you know kind of groups but they were they were the leaders right so there were four parties there at the time of christ the first of which is the pharisees we might say that the pharisees were the um, kind of religious conservatives of the time they would see what the bible says and take it more literally the Sadducees were a little bit more liberal. They had some different kind of beliefs. And so, well, the, you had the group of the Pharisees, and you had the Sadducees, and uh, these were some of the two of the leaders there at the time, and you would be familiar with them. There was a third one. Uh, I think it's pronounced the Essenes, and they're not really mentioned uh, in the Bible at all, but there was another group that was there. But there was a fourth party there. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Essenes, and then you had the Zealots. And so the zealots were similar to the Pharisees in that they were, we might call them a little bit more conservative, but they were highly political in overthrowing the Roman government. So their idea was that they would use whatever violence or military force that they could use in order to accomplish their goal. And their goal was the kingdom, all right? Their goal was, hey, we are Israel we are the people of God and the Roman government is ruling over us nobody should rule over us but God and so they would use whatever means necessary in order to try to overthrow this Roman government so that's what they would do and so when they were thinking about the Messiah their thought of the Messiah was He is going to come as the captain of the army in a way and liberate us and free us and he will rule and reign over us. He is going to overthrow the Roman government and uh, free us from this oppression of the Romans. That was their goal. There's an individual mentioned in the Bible uh, that was a part of this party, really one of the leaders of that party in uh, Acts chapter number five. In Acts chapter number five, uh there was some in the in the church there in jerusalem you know uh, they're preaching the gospel the pharisees and the leaders they don't like it and so they're going to go and persecute these people and then gamaliel stands up and he says hey if this be of god then you can't stop it if it's not of god it's going to disappear anyway so don't bother yourselves right in the middle of that he uses an example in Acts chapter number five, the example is after this man rose up, Judas of Galilee, in the days of the taxing, and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all even as many as obeyed him were dispersed. So uh, the the uh, historian Josephus writes about this man Judas of Galilee, that he was a zealot, and he waged a rebellion against the Roman government because of the taxes that were put upon his nation. And so he gathered a bunch of people together to try to rise up against the Roman government. He was killed and the movement just faded away. This was in about AD six. So this is Judas of Galilee, one of the leaders of the party, the zealots, And he tried to rise up against the roman government it didn't work he died and everything fell away okay simon here is a part of that party when it says that he is simon the zealot and so he's a part of this party that believes if you pay taxes to the roman government you are helping the enemy you are opposed to the will of god that that was their heart and their mentality they viewed, the, you know, the oppression, the taxation, and all of these things, and so they, they kind of squashed it, right? The Roman government came in, and they squashed it right away, but that party went underground, and so they would go, and they would be a little bit more uh, doing their work in the dark, and so they would participate in things like assassinations they would try to assassinate some of the leaders, some of the, you know, the kind of the important people in the Roman uh, government and whoever it is that they could Uh, Many of you will know that in AD 70, that the temple that was there in Jerusalem was destroyed. The Romans came in and uh, Titus came in and he absolutely destroyed everything. And uh, some historians believe that it was some of the workings of the zealots and some of the things that they were doing that prompted Rome to come in and just to wipe out everything, just to demolish the temple and put every single thing down. So Simon apparently is a part of this party. He is a, a man who has this belief of we shouldn't have the Roman government, we should be free, we should use military might if we can, violence, whatever is necessary. Uh, that's, that was kind of his mentality, and he was known for that because in the list, he's called Simon the Zealot, right? So what can we learn? Well, one of the things that we can definitely know about Simon was he was definitely passionate, Right? If you're going to join a party like that, you can't just be like, you know, lackadaisical about it. You have to go in with, you know, both feet. You've got to jump into it. And so Simon was passionate about this movement, about this belief. And uh, some of the other disciples also were known to be passionate. James and John, they were called the sons of thunder. They also kind of had this passionate kind of personality. Saul himself, the apostle Paul, he was passionate. He described himself as having zeal. They were passionate. It's just that they were passionate about the wrong things. Now Paul, after he got saved, he turned that passion into good things. Before he got saved, he was passionately persecuting the church. After he got saved, he was passionately preaching the gospel. He was helping churches and encouraging believers. He used that passion in the right direction. That's important. Because everybody is passionate about something. Everybody is passionate about something. You might be passionate about sports. You might love you know, the Dodgers might like the Lakers. You might, you might have your sports team that you're just absolutely passionate about. You follow up on them. You watch every game or you keep up, you know, when the next game is and you know, all everything about the team and the players and, and uh, expectations, you, you know, about all of those things. So it might be that some people are passionate about making money they just want to get as high as they possibly can, the best paying job. And they're thinking about a career of, you know what, if I do this and I can step over here and, and maybe move up and then move over there. And then th- these are the opportunities. I want to make all of this money. And here's a chance. There's a chance I should, you know, maybe study this or work at this company. And then they're passionate about making money, buying a bigger house, getting a nicer car, having a bigger retirement and, and uh, just being able to, you know, spend that money to go on vacations and, and just have all of the, the luxuries of this life. Some people are passionate about that. Some people are passionate about, you know, entertainment. They just, you know, they're passionate about their favorite TV show, or they have an actor or actress that they absolutely love, a a, a genre of music. They're absolutely passionate about and they listen to it all the time, and they want to hear all of the the new things, and watch the new movie, and watch the new TV show, and and all of these things. Some people are just passionate about their accomplishments. They just want to be able to say, see, look at what I'm I'm doing. I'm somebody. I've accomplished some things, and Everybody's passionate about something. So the question is, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Are you passionate about sports? Are you passionate about money? Are you passionate about God? Are you passionate about learning the word of God? See, Simon, he was passionate. He was just not passionate about the right things at first. He was passionate about the wrong things. But it's good to be passionate it's good to have a zeal, but to have a zeal for the Lord. Colossians chapter four, verse 13, Paul in writing about a man, Epaphras, he says, for I bear him record. I bear Epaphras record that he hath a great zeal for you. And them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis, this man, Epaphras, he was zealous. He was passionate. You know what he was passionate about? He was passionate about the church. He was passionate about those people he loved those people he wanted to get to know these people he wanted to help those people he wanted to help build the church he wanted to see new people to be saved and added to the church and he wanted to encourage those people hey don't give up keep on going he was he was passionate for those people the second thing that we can learn about from simon is whose path do you follow So the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Israel was promised in the Old Testament was something promised by God, right? Amen, right? God had promised to him, to them, this kingdom. This kingdom was not Simon's idea. They had read about this kingdom, this land, that they were going to inherit, this king that would come and rule over them. It was God's promise. But the thing is, these zealots wanted to do things in terms of accomplishing this separate from how God wanted to do it. God wanted to give a kingdom, but he wasn't going to do it this way, was he? He wasn't going to use some uprising rebellion of people that we're going to overthrow the government and overthrow the government and that's how god's going to establish the kingdom okay that was not god's way see we can want something from god's word but we can still do it the wrong way a great example of this is jacob from the old testament Okay. If you know the story about Jacob, Jacob and Esau, they were twins, right? So Jacob and Esau, they're born. And remember God told Jacob's mother that the younger would rule over the elder, right? It was God's plan for Jacob to be the one that we would know of as today. We, you know, the nation of Israel is named after Jacob. God changed his name to Israel, right? So that was God's plan all along. But do you remember how Jacob tried to get those things that God had promised? You know what he did? Remember when Isaac thought, you know what, I'm getting kind of old here and uh, I might die soon. Um, you know, Esau, why don't you come and I'll give you my you know, final blessings and uh, go out there, go hunt find some, you know, meat, bring it back to me. I'll eat it and I'll bless you. And so Esau goes and takes off. Rebecca overhears this and she says, here's my chance. All right. Isaac's going to bless Esau, but I want Isaac to bless Jacob. And so she runs over to Jacob and says, all right, here's the plan. Esau went out to go get meat, but you know, it's not that easy. It's going to take a little while. And so Jacob, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to go take one of the animals from the flock that we have. I'm going to kill it. I'm going to make some food, and you bring it into your father. Your father will eat of it, and he will bless you. And Jacob is, says to his mom, but mom, I don't look anything like my brother. Esau, he's a hairy guy. I'm smooth. I don't have any hair. He's going to immediately know, hey, you are not Esau. And so she says, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to skin the animal and I'm going to put the animal skin on your arms and on your neck. And so it'll fool him. Uh, I don't know how hairy Esau was, but if you put animal skin on here and it fools, you know, your dad. Okay. So Esau is definitely an interesting guy, but Jacob does it. He goes in and Isaac's eyesight is not so great. He can't exactly see isaac says who is it and jacob says what he says i'm thy firstborn esau he lies he lies to his dad and he comes in and you know isaac's not convinced and so he says come here and he smells him and he says yeah you smell you know jacob's a man of indoors you know but esau he loves to be out in the field you know he's that you know scent about him you know, it smells like him and he feels him and he says it feels like him but it's strange esau your voice sounds more like jacob's voice today that's a little strange but he goes and he blesses him he blesses him jacob gets out Esau right after that comes in and says here dad I brought you the meat bless me now and Isaac goes what what happened you know who's that other person and and Esau realizes Isaac realizes oh Jacob had come in tricked Isaac in order to receive the blessing now was it God's plan for Jacob to be blessed of course it was but was that the way that God wanted to bless him no definitely not see there's a right way to do something and there's a wrong way to do something there's a right way to serve God and there's a wrong way to serve God Romans chapter 10 verse number two even says of Israelites for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God oh they're passionate about God but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You know what, what Paul is saying there? He's saying, oh, they want righteousness. They just don't want it God's way. They want their own righteousness. I want to do it, right? We know that God's plan is, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Why? Not of works, lest any man should boast. God's plan is, I want everybody to know if you're saved from your sins, it's not because of you, it's because of me. That was God's plan. Now, people all throughout history, and even today, they try to work in order to receive righteousness. I will sacrifice, I will give, I will go to church, I will do all of these things, but that's not how you receive righteousness. You receive righteousness by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is God's way, right? Righteousness is God's plan. Trusting in Jesus Christ is God's way. Some people want the righteousness, but they don't want to do it God's way, right? So the lesson I think we could learn, one of the lessons we could learn is, all right, some of us can want the right thing, but we could still do it the wrong way. One example of that is in God's plan of authority, right? Sometimes, let's just be honest, we look at our authority, whether you're a child looking at the authority in your home, maybe you're a church member looking at the authority in a church, sometimes even as an employee looking at the authority in your workplace or as a member of the country looking up at the authority of the government. God desires for us to submit to authority. That's God's plan. Now, that doesn't mean your authority is always right, right? I know in my home, I'm not always right. Sometimes I say things and I do things, and then I realize later on, you know what? I told them to do something, but earlier I had told them to do something else, and, you know, I made a mistake. I said something wrong. I thought that this is what happened, but that's not what happened. But still, God expects submission to authority, and God will make it to work. God will make it to work. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, his way. I'm gonna do things God's way and God will bless. Another lesson that we can learn from Simon is who we will partner with. So we've spent some time talking about Simon. Simon was a member of the Zealot party. The Zealots hated the Roman government They wanted to overthrow the Roman government. The party members would go and assassinate members of the Roman government. I mean, this is that party, okay? That's Simon, he's part of the Zealot party. There's another group of the 12 disciples whose name was Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector for the Roman government. So here is Simon, he hates the roman government what's nothing to do with the roman government and god puts him together in this group of 12 with a man who was serving the roman government he was collecting taxes against people like simon for the roman government and god puts them together all right now of course when people get saved god changes them amen praise the Lord for that, okay? When you get saved, you are made a new creature. But still, people are different. They have different backgrounds, different ways of thinking, different, you know, uh, upbringings, all sorts of different things. And so, I wonder what it was like, we don't see any instances in the Bible, I wonder what it was like when Simon and Matthew had to go get bread from the city (laughs) together, You know, I wonder if it was awkward at all. I wonder what they talked about. So Simon, where are you from? All right, what did you used to do? Oh, I was part of the zealot party. All right, Matthew, what did you used to do? Oh, I used to collect taxes for the Roman government. Oh, (laughs) you know, I wonder what it was like. You know, they were very different people. They thought about things differently. Matthew thought, hey, here's an opportunity to make some money and I don't care if all of my countrymen despise me, if my family even kicks me out. This is an opportunity for me to make money. And here is Simon on the other side saying, I don't care how much money I make or what are any of these things. This is wrong. This is, this is not how we should do it and, and go to such extremes. And these are two very different people that had come together because they were following Jesus. That's really all that it was. And when we follow Jesus, we're going to have to follow him alongside some people that quite frankly are a little bit different from us. They think a little bit differently. They might approach things a little bit differently. They have different backgrounds, different ways of thinking. They come from different cultures. Their family upbringing could be different in all sorts of different ways. And God made us so many different ways. Of course, we're not talking about sinful things. We're not talking about unbiblical things. We're just talking about people are different, right? We can think about different things in in, uh, the same thing in different ways. And the question is, will we partner with them? Will we say, you know what, if I'm following Jesus and you're following Jesus, we're going to work together. We're going to, we're going to serve God together. And in many ways, that's God's will, not for us to just be siloed in everybody who thinks and acts and, and is brought up in exactly the same way. We're going to be over here. And you all people who think a little bit differently, you serve God, but you serve God over there. God wants us to be together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free and have been made all, uh, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. What Paul is saying is, all right, whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile, and these are two very different groups of people who thought about things in very different ways. God says, if you're saved, you're saved the same way saved by the same spirit, and now part of the same body. Verse 17, he elaborates even more. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? So, the picture here is, if you only hang around people who are just like you, and serve with people who are just like you, what's going to happen is, you and your group will be incredibly imbalanced, right? Because if all of the people who are the eyes, if we could use that illustration of the church, only hang around the people who are the eyes, they see everything, but they hear nothing. They do nothing because they don't have hands. They don't have ears. They don't have feet. They don't go anywhere. Oh, they see everything, but they can't do anything about it. And they can't go over there and they can't tell anybody. All right. Now, on the other hand, if you just have all of the mouthpieces together, oh, everybody's talking, everybody's got something to say, but nobody's listening, (laughs) right? Nobody's gonna do anything about it. So what we need is, we need people who are not like us. Amen? You know what that does? It helps keep us balanced. It helps us to understand, you know what? That person has a place, and that person has a place, and that person has a perspective, And that person has a different way of thinking about how we could serve and be effective in this ministry. Why don't we try this? This is something that I, 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 you know, this is how I think about it. And maybe we just need to encourage them. Another person says, all right, you know, maybe we just need to give a better example. Maybe somebody just needs to really confront them and say, Hey brother, you know what? You're not doing the right thing. Hey, you need to knock it off. You need to stop. You know, there's different ways of approaching the same thing. And sometimes you need all of those things. Sometimes you just need somebody to show an example and be like, oh, that's how you do it. All right, that's what I'm going to do. Somebody, you need somebody to just encourage, you know, I know that you know the right thing to do and you know the right thing to do, but come, come on, you know, let's just, let's just serve God. Sometimes you do need that confrontation of somebody saying, hey brother, what are you, what are you doing? You know, you need to stop that. You know, you're sinning, you're following in, in, in the worldly ways and you need to stop. So there are times for that. God's plan is for us to serve together. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. God desires that there be no schism in the body, but that we would learn to serve God together, despite our differences. So we can see that in Simon. The third disciple that we're going to take a look at is Judas. Judas for lack of a better term, I've entitled or called him the simple disciple. Once again, we know very, very little about Judas. Uh, in Luke chapter six, we see Judas, the brother of James In Matthew. We see some of his uh, nicknames, if you will, Labaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus. Uh, Labaeus, I mean, from what I was reading, seems to indicate that he might've been the baby of the family. You know, he was the youngest child. So maybe that was part of it. Thaddeus, Uh, literally translated means heart, child. So, um, you know, and there's an instance in John chapter 14 where he asks a simple question, and uh, we don't really know that much about him, but it seems to be that he's a simple, tender-hearted, childlike, gentle, and sweet-spirited kind of person. And this is one of the 12, they're supposed to be leaders, right? When you think about leaders or a lot of people think about leaders, we often think about like alpha leaders, right? Think about people who get up in front of people and they take charge and they tell people what to do. All right, you do this and you do this and you do this and I got the plan and all right, no, we need to stop this, all right, come over here, you do these things and and people who get up in front of people, they're loud. They're the ones throwing their ideas out there. They're the ones taking charge and making decisions and making orders, telling people what to do and, and those sorts of things, you know, and I could imagine Simon being a zealot, maybe having a little bit of this kind of personality. James and John and Peter seem to also have a little bit of this kind of personality, but Judas here seems to be a very different kind of person. He doesn't seem to be that kind of individual, the kind of person who's like, all right, nobody's gonna step up. All right, I'm gonna step up. I'm gonna take charge. I'm gonna make the decisions and I'm gonna tell people what to do. He doesn't seem to be like that. But still, uh, Jesus chose him to be one of the 12, which tells us that God can use you, no matter how you are. You don't have to be a different person for God to use you. You know, sometimes it's tempting to think, wow, I really, you know, love brother so-and-so, or I really look up to sister so-and-so, and and, wow, you know, you know, and and really just try to be just like them, And, and they might have some great examples, and some great things, but people can be very different. Again, we're not talking about sin all right? We're not talking about these things and holiness and biblical things. You know, we should all follow the Bible. We should all abstain from sin. We should all repent of our sin, but people have different personalities. All throughout the Bible, you often find that a mentor and somebody who is a mentee, if you will, were very different people. Paul famously had as his son in the faith, Timothy. Now, Paul was a leader, right? Even before he got saved, he was a leader. We know about that in the persecutions, in the book of Acts. He was a leader. He was the one to take charge, tell people what to do, to step up. And he had a bright career. He was going to be one, he was going to be somebody. And then he got saved and he began to follow God. And he he was still a leader. He was a leader in the churches, a leader in missions work and all of these things. And he found Timothy and he said, Timothy, you got to come with me. And so he drags Timothy along with him and Timothy follows him in the ministry. But it seems like Timothy was a very different kind of person from Paul. Paul did not pick somebody who was just like him. He put, pulled this man into the ministry that was very different from him. When we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, he writes to the church at Corinth, if Timothy comes to you, he says, now Timothy has come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. So it seems to be that Timothy is a little more of a timid kind of individual. He's not one to voice his opinion right away, not one to just stick up his hand the first chance he gets, not one to stand up in front of people, tell people what to do. He seems to be more of a timid, you know, kind of personality, but he still loved God, served God, preached the gospel, churches were encouraged, churches were built, Christians began to follow God more, You see that paul was one way timothy was one way and yet god used them as they were god didn't say timothy you got to be just like paul all right you got to stand up in front of people just like paul and gotta act like paul then he said timothy you're a different kind of person i'm going to use you in a different kind of a way if you go back to the old testament think about elijah and elisha elijah was a man that everybody was like whoa he was a fiery personality kind of a guy And by fiery personality, we mean, he literally called down fire from heaven, right? On Mount Carmel, he called down fire from heaven. God bless his prayer. And then the king said, all right, you need to go later on. Bring Elijah in. And the captain said, all right, the king said, you need to come. And he said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down and consume thee and thy 50. 51 men. Boom. Fire came down. Boom. Gone. He did it again. Three separate times. Elijah calls down fire from heaven. I mean, that's Elijah. Elisha never called fire down from heaven. He was a very different kind of personality. He was a little bit more gentle, a little bit more kind of, uh, you know, understand, you know, just not quite so bold and brash, you know, just kind of, you know, all right, you know, somebody was cutting down a tree and, you know, the axe had fell into the water. He said, oh no, I lost it. And and Elisha just uh, show me where it is. He goes over there and he says, I think it went over there. And he says, all right, take a branch and cast the branch into the water. The, the, the wood sank and the iron floated, you know, it's just very simple, not like bold and out there and in your face, still a miracle of God. God still used him greatly, but a very different kind of personality. And so we can acknowledge that God wants us to be more like him while also seeing that you and I and every other believer, we can still be different kinds of people. In fact, God wants us to be different kinds of people because he gives gifts that are different to different individuals. Some are leaders, some are servants, some have just a tender heart of mercy. Some people are encouragers and exhorters. Some people are preachers. They can stand and they can teach and they can talk and they can, you know, proclaim the word of God. We need all of these different things. We need all of these different parts and God can use your personality as you are. All right. For instance, who here is an extrovert and who here is an introvert? All right. I always like to ask it this way. Who's an introvert? All right. And introverts don't like raising their hands. All right. <laughs> so that's why I like to do that because introverts are like, I don't want to raise my hand. I don't want to stick out, you know? So if I ask who's an introvert, nobody raises their hand. And then if I say, who's an extrovert? People are like, yeah, I'm an extrovert. You know, I know, I'm over here, you know, you know, right away. And I'm a natural introvert. You know, I'm, I'm totally fine just, you know, being by myself or being with, you know, my family or small group of friends. I don't have to be where everybody else is and all of the excitement and everything. I, you know, I'm okay. I, I don't need to be a part of that. Some people are extroverts. They just love people. Every, you know, if they're sitting at home by themselves, they're like, all right, I got to go text somebody. I got to call somebody. I got to go meet with somebody. I got different kinds of people. Introverts don't have to be like extroverts for God to use you. An extrovert, you don't have to be like introverts in order for God to use you. Some people are leaders, right? Some people are leaders. They're just people who stand up and they, you know, they're able to influence people and lead people. Some people are like that. Some people are leaders. Some people, even though God wants us to all be an influence on somebody, not everybody's going to be the leader. You know, when I was in in high school, they would, you know, one of the big questions was, are you a leader, you know? And, uh, you know, I'm a leader because of this and that, you know, and stuff like that. And I, I read about this one girl who was honestly looking at the question and going like, am I a leader, honestly? Like, no. And so she wrote, no, I'm not a leader. <laughs> you know? And she said in her college application, she thought, oh, I guess that's the end of that. And she received a response that said, you have been admitted to, I forget, the university. <laughs> it said, well, seeing as we have 5,767 leaders, we decided that they probably needed somebody to follow them. And so we have admitted you into the college, you know? And so, you know, we always think, oh, everybody's got to be a leader. Not everybody has to be the leader. You could just be somebody who faithfully serves in your place, and you don't have to be the leader. You can still be used of God. You could still encourage somebody. You could still give financially. You could still witness to somebody and lead them to the Lord. You could do all of these things without being somebody different. And so Judas, It's very different from some of these other people, but still God used him. Can we see that these are all rather ordinary people in terms of, yeah, they had certain traits and things like that that we might be able to pull out and and take note of, but if you saw people like this on the street today, you probably wouldn't notice them at all. They would just be people that you saw in the store, in the grocery store, at the mall, at the park with their kids, just people in the office just like every other person, the difference was that they follow God. That's the important thing. We can all be different, all have different upbringings, all have different situations, different, you know, personalities, different family situations. The main thing, though, is will we follow Jesus? And if we follow Jesus, God can use us.